You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, and I'm your host, Ambigar Garian, joined with my co-host, John Tarleton. In our second segment, we're going to talk about the life and legacy of Dr. Jeffrey Perry, who passed away over the weekend. Perry was an independent, working-class scholar whose work focused on the role of white supremacy as a retardant to progressive social change and on the centrality of struggle against white supremacy to progressive social change efforts. Perry wrote and spoke in particular on two of the most important thinkers on race and class in the 20th century, Hubert Harrison and Theodore W. Allen, both of whom we will hear more about shortly. Joining us today to talk more about Perry, as well as Hubert Harrison and Theodore W. Allen, is Perry's friend of 50 years, Sean Ahern. Sean is also a retired public school teacher and member of the New York City Coalition to Definally End Mayoral Control. John, welcome to 99.5 FM. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. First of all, um, of course, our condolences for the loss of your friend of many years, Jeffrey Perry. Thank you. It was a it was a great loss, but he has left he has left us a lot of stuff to work on. Right. So so tell us about that. Um, for starters, talk about how you met Jeffrey Perry, what kind of person he was, and what your collaboration looked like over the past five decades. And, uh, and and how you see his legacy. Uh, I met him in, um, in New Jersey uh, around probably around 1972, 73. Uh, he had just, um, he was a member of the Puerto Rican Socialist Party. He had, he's older than me. He had done a number of different things before that. He had uh, hitchhiked through South America, was on the Vance Ramos Brigade. He had graduated from Princeton University. He was from a working class family in Paramus. He played basketball. He was a New Jersey athlete, like a sort of a star high school athlete and um, regular church going kid, you know, where he was like the first in his class, first in his family to graduate from high school, let alone go to college. And uh, he went to 64. He starts Princeton and then everything. He hangs up a picture of the Pope in his dormitory. And then after that, everything changes. His whole world changes. The civil rights movement, black liberation movement, the Vietnam War. Um, you know, everything turns around. And um, after college, he travels around South America. He goes to cut sugarcane in the support of the Cuban Revolution and in uh, uh, the Van Ramos Brigade. I meet him. He comes back to uh, New York City, comes back to he's in Hoboken. And I am working in the post office and he meets, uh, I meet him and he's, uh, he meets some activists in, in working in workplaces in uh, New Jersey. And he decides that that's something that he wants to do. He meets Theodore W. Allen and is deeply influenced we, as we both were by Allen's writings, um, on the nature of white supremacy and its role that it had played in uh, not just merely like a social construct, that's a common euphemism used to describe it nowadays, but that it has a particular role to play as a social control, as a bourgeois social control formation. That's what it was invented for. And uh, Alan went on to write a number of books uh, about this, the invention of the white race. Um, and Alan, Alan put forward this idea that, you know, you know, Looking at American history, he took three main periods, the Reconstruction, the Populist Era in the 1930s that Allen was involved with. The CIO, uh, he was a former coal miner, UMW uh, union leader. 
Um, and he said, you know, you look back on American history and you can see at each major uprising, when the capitalist crisis hits and things get really tough for people, there is a momentary unity across racial lines. And then, you know, as the crisis sort of like winds its way out, uh, the bourgeoisie intervenes to reestablish the what Alan called the white skin privilege system. And but and reinforcing the system of privileges is the basis upon which they sort of break up the movements and reestablish social control, which is the basis for making money. You can't make money unless you control the people. Anyway, Jeff was very influenced as I was. And uh, we tried to uh, put this into practice in the workplace. And Jeff became Jeff was a um, a natural born leader. He was just, uh, you know, very outgoing and friendly and gregarious and uh, people just warmed to him. He was just a great speaker. Um, and, you know, we went into the post office and, you know, Ted had this idea solidarity forever means privileges never. So what did that mean in the workplace? Well, that meant that, you know, Jeff, well, we, Jeff would say, uh, we would say, uh, you know, if, if the boss, if the bosses are giving overtime to just to the white workers, we got to fight that. If the bosses are just giving light duty assignments to, uh, cause there was a, an agreement that they had to give light duty assignments to pregnant women. But if they're only giving preg- if they're only giving these light duty assignments to the white women and not to the black women, we have to oppose that. So this was this idea of the privilege system being used to slice and dice and divide workers. And Jeff went right at that. And, uh, we went, we, we fought against the bad contracts. Um, Jeff was fired in 1978, leading a, a, a fight against a postal contract. He got his job back and proceeded to become a leader in the mail handlers union locally and nationally, leading many struggles uh, against white supremacy for you know, racial justice, racial equality, for solidarity amongst the workers. Solidarity forever meant privileges never. That's what his basic approach was that he he adopted. He was influenced by Theodore W. Allen. Right. And, um, and can you and, talk a little bit both about how uh, Jeff was able to do this scholarship while also uh, working a full time so job? He was, at a, the he, was a, he, he was a union. He was a union official. Uh-huh. He, he was elected to positions. And he starts to, um, I think it was, I guess in the early eighties, I had, I had been, I got fired from the post office and I didn't get my job back. Uh, in the early eighties, he began a, uh, a graduate program at Columbia University, starting to read history. And of course, influenced by Theodore W. Allen, he was going to try to continue this study of American history to look at these, uh, look at the role that white supremacy and the white racial privilege system had played in American history in different periods. He wanted to, you know, look into this more. He comes across uh, a person. He reads uh, a description by uh, J.A. Rogers. Uh, J.A. Rogers writes, he describes uh, Hubert. It's the first because Jeff didn't know anything about Hubert Harrison, but in the course of his reading, he says, he comes across this quote, J.A. Rogers, author of the world's great men of color. He writes, um, Hubert Harrison was not only the foremost African-American intellect of his time, but one of America's greatest minds. No one worked more seriously and indefatigably to, the, to enlighten his fellow men. None of the African-American leaders of his time had a saner and more effective program. 
who is Hubert Harrison? And that piques his interest, and he begins to read everything that he can about Hubert Harrison. And it turns out he was quite a formidable leader. He was kind of well-known leading leader in the early part of the 20th century. But he had been sort of disappeared. And he was based so, in Harlem, right? He was based in Harlem. He was born in St. Croix. He comes to Harlem at the height of the Nader, like around, I think it's 1900 or maybe 1901. And uh, he, he, you know, takes advantage of any educational programs. He was sort of like a quite a brilliant person. And Alan, uh, uh, Ted, uh, Jeff writes uh, this two-volume history about him. Starting off first, before he writes the history, he writes a... In, 19, in 2001, he comes out with a reader. In other words, Harrison was a prolific writer. Uh, and his articles had been, like I say, disappeared. Modern radicals, you know, hardly, who is this guy, right? And he came out with this reader in 2001 that was, you know, really sort of like set people's minds, like, who is this guy? So, And he continued by night 2001, he wrote his first volume of his biography. Now, in the course of this, he makes contact. Harrison died young. He died uh, in 1927. He was in his, maybe he was 43. He was in his 40s. And um, he had children living in Harlem. Uh, and Jeff comes in contact with the family members. His daughter, we have a picture here in the book, uh, his daughter, and husband had maintained, had held on to Harrison's papers. And they shared them with Jeff. And Jeff turned himself into an archivist because these are, these are papers that were being preserved in Harlem apartments. He turns himself into an archivist and he works with the family to place these papers in the uh, Columbia, Columbia University archive. Um, many of which you can access online today. Uh, he writes his he writes his doctoral thesis on Harrison, and uh, he gets taken out to dinner by Harrison's daughter, um, and she hands him Harrison's diary. And Jeff realizes that he's got because he had been sort of cut off in nineteen eighteen, but Harrison lives another ten was ten years and is very active at home, and so Jeff says, "I have to write this second volume." I have the family has had entrusted me with his diary. I have all the family, you know, all these archives. And he writes the, the, um, the second volume, which comes out in, to, in 2020. Um, just, uh, some of just, I just, I, I know you won't have, you don't have much time, but, um, I just wanted to read a couple of the quotes from Harrison and contained in the reader, contained in the, in the, in the biographies. Here he is. Uh, Harrison is writing for the New York Call. This is like, uh, I think he's writing this in 2012. Harrison is the leading African-American Socialist Party organizer in 2012. And he's writing. You mean this in 1912? Major- I'm, I'm sorry, in, in 1912. Sorry. He's one of the leading spokespersons uh, for organizers for Debs' campaign. And uh, but, you know, he comes to be critical of the Socialist Party's view. Um, failure to really take up the struggle for uh, equal rights against lynching, all of these programs that he's trying to get the Socialist Party to take up. Because at that point, um, you know, he said that the Republican Party had totally dropped the ball as far as the defender of African-Americans' uh, civil liberties and rights. Uh, 
Right. If, but they were still trying to claim to be, oh, we're the only party for the, uh, I mean, the only, only, the only people, only African Americans could vote at that time were in the North because they've been disenfranchised pretty much in the South. But, uh, so, uh, but people are breaking away. People are disenchanted with the inaction, uh, of, of the Republican party. And so, so Du Bois is, I mean, um, Harrison is going into the party and saying, become this, become, you know, pick, be the torchbearers for the struggle for racial equality in America, because the Republicans aren't doing it. And, you, you know, make a special effort to organize in the African American communities. They don't do it. And eventually he breaks with the, 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 the socialist party. But here he writes in 2000, I think it's 2012. He writes, okay, we, we are running. Okay, let me just read this quote. He says, two quotes quickly. Politically, the Negro is the touchstone of the modern democratic idea. The presence of the Negro puts our democracy to the proof and reveals the falsity of it. Another another quote from, this is after he's left the party. Uh, He's writing for the new Negro. As long as the color line exists, all the perfume, he's writing, this is like around World War I. All the perfumed protestations of democracy on the part of the white race must be simply downright lying. The cant of, quote, democracy, end quote, is intended as dust in the eyes of white voters. Uh, so, you know, Jeff reads this stuff and he says, this man is a brilliant writer, a brilliant critic of uh, white, white supremacy, and he devotes the rest of his life to Allen and Harrison. For further information, go to jeffreybperry.net. His website has a host of resources about Theodore W. Allen and and um, Hubert Harrison. Right. And, and before we go, just one more quick question, which is we've been through a, a huge uh, upsurge of uh, uh, racial justice protests and other protests in recent years, the George Floyd uprising. And we, we've see, also seen this backlash and this uh, resurgence of copaganda um, and backlash against Black Lives Matter. Uh, how does that fit into the uh, uh, the narratives uh, that Harrison and Theodore Allen and, and Jeffrey Perry uh, explored in their work? Well, I think that there, there's this. It's following a pattern in U.S. history. Uh, you know, here we have a major economic crisis, major economic downturn, and uh, you know. Life is hard for people. Life is increasingly hard for many for the past, you know, decades, but it's getting increasingly hard. And to forego the possibility of, uh, joint, you know, mass struggles, it's very, which, which we saw, we saw a lot of young working class European Americans out on those demonstrations, but to forego that. This the counter revolution and to form the shape of the counter revolution in America. And it is, it was that in 1968 and it's, it's that today. The race card is played. The, the appeal to white supremacy, the appeal to white, to the white racial privilege system to try to break any move towards solidarity, towards a common struggle. And I think that that's what's playing out now and it's being fought over. It's being fought out. It's not like, written stone it can go either way but um i think that that's the it points to the centrality of the fight against white supremacy which was the main uh the main theme of allen and um which and and which jeffrey tried to also uh 
you know, take up that fight. Right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. But Sean Ahern, a longtime friend of a uh, 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 scholar and activist, uh, Jeffrey Perry, thank you so much for joining us today on WBAI Radio. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. All right. We will be back after this short break uh, with our uh, third and final segment where we'll uh, talk about the Workers United Film Festival, which is coming up shortly.